Great God in heaven, I, I know that as we come to this point in the worship service, Father, that I stand before your people, unable and unworthy of the task. God, in, in spite of me, in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my frailty, Father, we ask all together, as humbly as we know how, Father, that you would speak, that you would move during this time, that you would add your blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. Father, would you convict us of our sin? Would you challenge us to turn from our sin and turn to you? Would you comfort us if we are struggling, Lord? Would you give us encouragement and strength where needed? And Father, would you have mercy on us? We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're free to use one of the ones in the pew that is in front of you. Or if you don't have a Bible at home, you can keep that as our gift to you. We have others we will put out. If you'd like to follow along on the screen or on a tablet or your phone, that's fine. However you are accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word? We look together now at the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I will read for us at the end. I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you, as is our tradition, to respond by saying thanks be to God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we turn our attention now to Philippians chapter Three, we have spent a significant amount of time building up to this point. And as Paul has written before, he gives an example of Timothy and Epaphroditus 
He will say again as we move through the rest of the book that these are examples to imitate. He talks about putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He reminds us that God, Christ, who began a good work in us, will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So many powerful verses. In chapter 2, we get a description of what Jesus did and who Jesus is. He did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to hold in regard or to hold up high. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We know the gospel because of what Paul has been writing. And so all of this leads Paul to say that we should rejoice. In verse 1 he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I want you to think back to the last time you got a text message. And somebody in that text message said something to you two times, and you felt like, what a waste of time. They just typed the same thing over again. I'm the world's worst about that. I'll start a message off. I'll write out something. I'll start talking in the rest of the message. Then I'll write what I put at the beginning of the message again, and then somebody sends back and they go, yeah, I got it. No need to say it twice. I understand. That's a text message. It's extremely simple, right? All I'm doing is typing on my phone, hitting the little green or blue button. If you're not a blue button, I'm sorry. If you're a green button and you understand what I'm saying, God be with you. All right? So you hit the little button and off it goes. All right? It is sent. And there's no trouble. But Paul, as he writes this letter, it is not easy to write. There are very few people who know how to read, who know how to write, the materials necessary to write the parchment and the ink is very difficult to come by. They did not space out any words. When Paul writes this letter in the original language, he is writing one letter after the other with no spaces, with no punctuation marks. You have to look at it and figure out where one word ends and the next word begins because you don't want to waste a bit of space. You want to cram as much as you can into the letter. So Paul goes through a great deal of trouble to say once again, rejoice in the Lord. The fact that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is the Lord who wills and works in us and through us should cause us to rejoice. Putting others ahead of ourselves and doing nothing out of vain ambition or conceit should cause us to rejoice. Being certain that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it should cause us to rejoice. Over and over again, Paul comes back to this theme of everything else that he is saying should lead us to a point of celebration and rejoicing. And he's willing to spend the space on the parchment to use up the ink to write it once more. And even say to them, yeah, I meant to write rejoice. I meant to say it again. I meant to take up that space. It is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Did you hear that? It is safe to rejoice. Sometimes I feel like we forget that it is safe to rejoice. Sometimes we are we're very high church in our mentality, and we forget that God has done an incredible, impossible, improbable work within us and he has redeemed our very souls, saved us from the pit of 
fire and damnation and destruction and condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This should lead us to rejoice and feel safe to rejoice. Sometimes I feel like we get a little stuffy in here. I don't don't know about y'all. Sometimes, man, Jason will be singing. And I just feel like, whoo, i got to say hallelujah. i got to say something. God's been so good to me. i got to rejoice. But I feel like it might not be safe to rejoice. You know what I mean? It might not be safe. I kind of want to raise my hand, not because I'm trying to show off, not because I'm trying to say, ooh, look at me. I'm worshiping Jesus. Oh, y'all don't know what's going on, but I'm worshiping Jesus because i got my hand up. It's clear. I'm worshiping Jesus. Look, that, that ain't the thought. Sometimes people want to raise their hand because they're rejoicing. Sometimes people want to raise both their hands and say, I surrender, Jesus. I am yours. I've put down all my weapons, and I'm just surrendering to you, and I'm just raising my hands. Sometimes people raise their hands because God's done so much in them. It's like a little baby going before their father or their mother saying, get me, Mommy. Get me, Daddy. Hold me. Hold me. I remember Micah and Luke, when they were little, they always got it backwards. Did you ever have kids that did that? I want to hold you, Daddy. I want to hold you. Golly, folks, sometimes when we're worshiping and we're praising and we're rejoicing, we've got to raise our hands because we've got to say, I want to hold you, Daddy. I want you to hold me. I'm calling out to you. I'm right here. I'm surrendering. I don't care who sees it. It is safe in this moment to rejoice. It's worth it to Paul to write it an extra time. It's worth it to Paul to describe and explain. It's worth the space to say rejoice. And he says, don't worry. It's safe to Rejoice. It actually puts shame to our enemies when we rejoice. They can't stand to see us happy and rejoicing. They expect Christians to be moralistic and rigid. They expect us to be dull and boring. But when we rejoice and are filled with the joy of the Lord, they don't know what to do with us. The world is bumfuzzled. They are dumbstruck. And they go, I, I, I mean, it's not fun to be a Christian. I don't know why he's acting like that. I don't understand what's going on with these people. They, they're too happy. Something ain't right. That's right we're happy because God changed us. He brought us from death to life. He did all the work, and that's what Paul's going to say moving from two on. In verse 2, he's going to turn and say, listen, you can rejoice because it doesn't depend on you. The blamelessness that we have before God is accomplished through Jesus, which is all the more reason to rejoice. Paul dives into this and he says, very strong language. Look, nothing in the English that we could translate this as gives credence to the Greek and how strong and pointed every statement that Paul makes here in verses 2 and 3. Nothing can compare to what we see in the Greek. Look out for the dogs. I mean, you have to, there is emphasis here. The words that he uses, some of them would be considered obscene if we were to say them today right now in this public forum so i won't but just know that paul is using very strong language on the verge of being obscene volatile language look out for the dogs the unclean these people who consider themselves clean because they are urging for circumcision those are the people who are dogs those are the people who are unclean look out for the dogs Look out for the evil doers. They think they're doing good, but they are the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Again, as strong as that language is, it pales in comparison to what Paul says. This is related closely to what he says in Galatians. When he's talking to the church in Galatia, he says, I wish that those people who are telling you that you have to circumcise yourself 
would have the knife slip when they circumcised themselves. And instead of just cutting off a little piece, they cut the whole thing clean off. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's what's in the Bible. Look in Galatians. He says it. He says, I wish their knife would slip and they cut a little too much. That's how strongly Paul feels about this issue that we're dealing with. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. There is not a physical attribute that shows that you are in Christ. It is those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ. Those who put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. This is, I love when Paul gets off on this. And look, there are even people that, that that abrupt change, they think there's such a rough cut between rejoice in the, in the Lord and it is safe to rejoice to look out for the dogs. They think that this is a later addition to the text, that Paul himself didn't write this, but it's bogus. There's no founding for that. There's no evidence for that. And here's the best evidence I can give you. One, it does tie into rejoicing in the Lord. We rejoice because it's not up to us. We rejoice because Jesus is the one that did it. So there is a relationship here. And two, I don't know if you've ever written an email to anybody and had to like delete half of the email and rewrite it, delete half the email and edit it. You know, you start one paragraph and then you wander off and talk about something else. And then you come back and you go... Lord, have mercy. What was I talking about? And we have a process of editing that if we don't want to sound like that, we can delete that paragraph and send it later or move it down here. Paul doesn't have that luxury, y'all. This is parchment and ink. He's lucky to be able to have something to write with and write on, period. So when the thoughts hit him, he spits them out and he writes them down. And so if it doesn't look like it perfectly ties together or that maybe he chases a rabbit, Y'all, we chase rabbits in our emails and our text messages and our phone calls and our correspondence to one another all the time. This is original to Paul. This is the word inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I have all the reason in the world for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that they have reason for confidence, I have more. Woo! Man, oh man, I'm better than anybody else out here, y'all. Let me tell you, the man who just said don't have conceit, don't have selfish ambition just threw out some arrogance, didn't he? He said, I don't care who you are, where you're from, who your daddy was. If you are dependent on the flesh, I can have more confidence in the flesh than you. I have more, he says. He's following this line to prove how ridiculous this thinking is. And he gives us his pedigree, not the only time in Scripture that he does. But he was born and followed the exact letter of the law to be circumcised on the eighth day. Not only was he of the people of Israel, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. You may remember that the kings of Israel, King Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. He is invoking the royalty that is in his heritage, that is in his ancestry. Because Saul was a king. Not only is he an Israelite, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, which probably means he spoke Aramaic. He not only knew Greek, but he probably knew Hebrew and spoke Aramaic, which meant he was closer to God than anybody else, according to these Judaizers, to these who would have you follow the law. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a murderer, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, folks, don't take what Paul is saying right there in verse 6. Don't take the word blameless. And think that he is saying he has never sinned. What Paul is saying is that according to the rites and the rituals spelled out in the Old Testament, he was blameless in his eyes before the Lord. 
when he sinned, he went to the temple and offered the correct offerings. He gave the correct sacrifices to cover and atone for his sins. So in his eyes, he stood blameless before the Lord. This is similar to what Job says when all of Job's friends tell him, you must have sinned or done something. You must have cursed God and said, you are doing something terrible, so you must have been at fault. And Job says, no, 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 I'm blameless. I am blameless. Not that he has never done anything wrong, but that he has followed all the rituals and his sin has been atoned for under the Old Testament regulations. That's what Paul is indeed saying here. But then we get the turn in verse 7 that proves the foolishness of these who say we earn our salvation ourselves. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Folks, I I don't know about you, but when was the last time you looked at everything that you've achieved in your life? And instead of being proud of yourself, you count all of it as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. For the sake of knowing the surpassing goodness and greatness of our God. For His sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Folks, there is no other way to be in right standing before the Lord than through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be in right standing before the Lord other than faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's everything the Bible tells us about how to be saved. Have faith in Jesus Christ And in Him alone, God takes His righteousness and covers our sinfulness. His righteousness is imputed or given to us. It's like a coat that we put on and God no longer sees how filthy we are. God sees how perfect Jesus is. And this is how God accomplished it. It's what's incredible to me. It's not just a declaration that you are no longer sinful. It's not just a free pardon To make sin of no importance. Maybe many of you saw this week the very moving story about the the trial that went on in Dallas. And and maybe you all have your own opinions about Miss Geiger and and the the shooting that took place. A lot of people had a lot of things to say about the fact that the brother extended forgiveness in the name of Christ. He, He compelled her to give her life to Christ gave her a hug, and then the judge afterward gave her a hug, gave her her Bible. It was forgiveness and redemption and Christ on display in a legal courtroom. And a lot of people had a lot of good and bad to say about it. A lot of people from the world said, that's weird, that's actually wrong, you're using your official capacity wrong, and you should be punished for this. But I want you guys to remember something. After that hug... After that forgiveness is extended, after that judge gives her her Bible, she's still going to jail for 10 years. Because those are the consequences of what she did. That was the judgment that was passed down. 
We stand before God as sinners, and we don't just need forgiveness. We don't just need a hug from Jesus where Jesus comes over and says, man, I hope you feel better about all these bad, terrible things you've done in rebellion and treason against God Almighty. But I died on a cross, and, and I, I'm offering you forgiveness, and so I, I'm glad now that you got forgiveness, and, and now you can go burn in hell for all eternity. That's not the way it works. Jesus took the sentence we deserved. The only way that we achieved eternal life, the free gift of God, was not that it was just forgiveness and a hug that was offered. It's that Jesus died our death. God didn't just write off all the sins like they didn't happen. He poured out every ounce of his wrath on his own son who lived a perfect life, who never sinned one time, who fulfilled every letter, every jot, every tittle, every iota of the law, and he fulfilled it perfectly. He was the only one who was not under the sentence of death. And yet he died because we deserve death. You see... That courtroom could have gone one step further to offer freedom. If that brother had said, no, 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 I'm going to go to jail for 10 years, even though that's your sentence. You see, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He said, not only am I offering you forgiveness, but there's a punishment that's still due. There's wrath that still has to be poured out. There are rebels and traitors that must still be dealt with. I'll take that punishment. I'll stand up. I'll die on a cross. I'll gasp for air for six hours on a cross. I'll be beat within an inch of my life and then hung on nails. I'll wear a crown of thorns. I'll be mocked and spit on because that's what I deserve as Nathan Daniels. That's what you deserve sitting here this morning. But Jesus didn't just offer a hug. He took the punishment. And Paul says that if any one of us wants to stand up and go, look at me, I am a wonderful Christian. God is so lucky I'm going to heaven. He's just so blessed to have me coming. You just don't know all the good things that I do. I'm just such a wonderful person. Paul says if anybody wants to follow the Old Testament law and say they're blameless, I got you beat. But the fact of the matter is there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that you can do to stand before God and say, look, I made up for all my sin. Look, I, I can come to heaven. I did way more good than I did bad. No, no, no. Everybody, everybody that knew me knew I was a good person. No, no, no. You don't understand. I was in church every Sunday. You know, I even went to prayer meeting. And you know there's only like 9 to 20 people that show up for prayer meeting. And I was there, Jesus. You best be letting me in them pearly gates. I even went to prayer meeting. I came to Wednesday night supper. I ate the dinners. I was here at the church. And God's going to go, you know what? The only way to get in this place is by faith in Jesus Christ. And you may have done all of those things, and you may have knew a lot about me, but you never believed in Jesus. You never gave Him your life and lived for Him and lived out your faith and trusted in Him and gave your life over to Him. So depart from me, because I don't even know who you are. Folks, that's the only way to get in. It's to stand before him and say, God, I, I have nothing. I have nothing that should let me in there with you. But you told me that you sent your son to die in my place. You told me that you poured your wrath out on him. 
And so I gave my life to Him. And I trusted in faith and devoted everything in my life to following Your Son in hopes that You would look at me and not see the mess that I made of my life, but see the perfection of Your Son and His righteousness. Lord, I don't deserve to go to heaven. But You made a way through Jesus. You said have faith. And so if I'm going to get in, that's the only way I can come. God's going to open the door and He's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. But if you're counting on your own morals, if you're counting on your own merit, you're never going to pass Paul. And Paul wasn't good enough either. The only way is through faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning I, I have a simple question for you. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Not say a prayer. Buy a get-out-of-hell-free card, but I'm talking about give your life to Christ and truly place your faith in Him. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And no person who has ever been or will ever be can go to the Father except through Christ. If you don't know Him or trust Him, Would you trust Him today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You for making a way for a wretched sinner like me. God, I know that I've made a mess of my own life. That even though I'm I'm striving after You, Lord, and You are sanctifying me every day, I am still a sinner. I still fail You. Daily, Lord. And yet because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your love, because of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, you have adopted me into your family. You call me your Son. You offer me forgiveness. You poured your wrath that I deserve in your own Son for the sake of your glory, for the sake of all the world. Father, if there is anyone here, Lord, who does not trust in You, pray that You move on their heart, Lord, that You stir in their spirit a desire and a longing to truly follow You. God, help us not to depend on ourselves and on the good things that we do. Help us, Lord, to love You and repent and turn from our sin and turn to You. God, we ask that you would move in power in these moments. We ask all this in the name of Jesus.